Well, welcome to episode number eight of the Dads on Tap podcast. My name is Scott Maudsley, and I'm your host for our podcast and the founder of Dads on Tap, a nonprofit I started to help dads become better dads. If you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can visit us at dadsontap.com. Well, today I have the privilege of interviewing Aisha DeBerry, whose bio, frankly, I could spend the rest of the podcast talking through. So, Aisha is a lawyer. She's a diversity, equity, inclusion executive for Gas South. She's a podcaster. She's an author. She's a kidney donor and a whole lot more. But most importantly, she is my friend. And so, Aisha, I want to welcome you to the Dads on Tap podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, you have a lot of titles, and we're going to post your bio in our show notes, but those titles don't define you. Honestly, one of the things that I think defines you more than anything is your heart for others and your desire to learn, grow, and help others do the same. And you have been that for me. You've been a friend. You've been a learning partner. And so thank you so much for being here today to talk to us about how to be a great daughter dad. So the place I always love to start with our guests on the podcast is to start by talking about your dad being a dad is awesome. And our dads shape us for the good and sometimes for the bad and maybe a little bit of both. But I want to start off today just by asking you to tell us a little bit about your dad and your relationship with him. Absolutely. You know, I'm super excited to be here, Scott, because that is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. You know, I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, but my dad and I have a podcast simply because I wanted to capture the moments that we've had over the course of my life, of course. And I I just think he's just a phenomenal person. So, you know, I like to say I'm a sister of the South. So I was born in Memphis, raised in Jackson, Mississippi, and now I'm here in Atlanta. And my father as well is a man of the South. He was born in Holly Springs, Mississippi, which is a town right outside of Memphis, Tennessee. It's about 35 minutes away. And as a young man, he was very much involved in the Freedom Summer Movement, which was kind of a precursor to the civil rights movement. So it was for children that really wanted to be involved, but did not know quite how to do that. And so while he was in this Freedom Summer program, a wonderful Jewish family from the North in New York saw him and saw the potential in him and said, you know, you should move to the North and attend this school called Commonwealth, a Commonwealth High in Boston, Massachusetts. So believe it or not, at the young age of 14, I don't know how my grandmother thought that was okay. He packed up a bag with this family and moved to Boston, Massachusetts. And from there, really excelled at Commonwealth and ended up going to Brandeis University. Aisha, I'm curious, what year would that have been that he that he made that move? That was in the mid, early to mid 60s, but early 60s. He was born in the 40s, late 40s. And so, yeah, he was in high school at Commonwealth and then ended up at Brandeis, where he got his bachelor's, master's and PhD. And, you know, while he was there, still doing a lot of civil rights work, They actually took over Ford Hall, which was a student center at the time. They took it over for a few days, which also was where all the administration were. And this was in the height, again, of the civil rights movement because they felt that there really weren't opportunities for black and brown students in terms of teachers that looked like them, courses that were taught around their history and things of the like. And so today there is a beautiful portrait of him in Brandeis at Fort Hall with all the work that he did during that time. So he's just a phenomenal guy, just a great guy. 
Oh, Aisha, and I love that part of your story. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later when we get into some practical things. But that's one of my passions for Dads on Tap and for this podcast. And we've done a couple other interviews, but it's helping us, especially as white dads, figure out how to have this conversation that, frankly, in our culture has become so simplistic in how we talk about it, but it's really complex. And so we are going to get into that. And I love, you know, that this is a part of your story and a part of your history. And Tell me, I'd be curious, what's just maybe one or two favorite memories you have, maybe from your younger days of being with your dad? Oh, my gosh. You know, my dad was such a big guy on travel when he was in college. And we, I'm, you know, I've learned this all through the podcast, to be quite honest with you, because, you know, my dad was one of those people that didn't, was very humble, didn't really want to talk about much. And I learned so much from other people. But anyway, traveling was just a wonderful thing. One year we traveled from Jackson, Mississippi to Colorado Springs, Colorado on the train. And I will never forget that experience because we spent so many time just stopping along the way, him taking pictures of me, us talking about the history of wherever we stopped. It's such a big part of my life. And it really is why I love travel today. I still have pictures from that moment. That was probably in the mid nineties. So that was such a wonderful, wonderful journey for me. The other part of it, this is going to sound sad, but I'll I'll circle back around so you understand. But I also, one moment in my life, I might've been sixth grade. I witnessed my father for the first time crying. He saw that Nelson Mandela had been freed from the camps, of course, in South Africa, where Nelson Mandela is. And for me, even though you asked the question about just the happy moment, it was a moment for me where I saw my dad as a human and thought, wow, it's really okay to express your emotions and to be celebratory, but also cry as a man. And that has always stuck with me as well over the course of my life. You know, I love that. One of the things that that is hard sometimes for men and dads is is to show that emotion and how that, you said about sixth grade that happened. Right. How is a young lady seeing that early on allowed you to see your dad in a different light. And maybe it impressed you that it's okay to be emotional. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I think. And I always talk about that. You know, that that moment just stuck in my mind. And then also seeing my father not be in quote unquote, this gender role of a father. I think of what we kind of talk about a father maybe should be or what you have in your mind. I mean, I'll get a little TMA, but you know, a woman goes through a process at, at some point in time when you're young and move into adult. And my father was right there during that moment. When I went off to college, as talking about relationships, he was there for that. My father cooked, my father cleaned, as well as cut the grass. My father was there at my ballet recitals as much as my speaking engagements. So I just saw my dad very versatile. I didn't see him as just this guy that quote unquote, went to work and came home and paid the bills and then went to sleep. You know, he was very involved in my life and I was very comfortable with him because of that at such a young age, talking about anything with him. You know, Aisha, that is so important. And and I know we'll probably get to some of this a little bit later as well. But one of the things I've watched over the years in working with a lot of dads is that our daughters hit this season that can be challenging called the teenage years, (laughs) you know, and, and one of the things that I've learned a lot and honestly kind of breaks my heart for dads is, is that I've, I've seen or heard dads talk about when their daughters reach a place where they start to push away or push against a relationship with dad, 
that they kind of distance themselves. They're unclear of what to do. And so they, they kind of take a step back. And one of the things I've told dads is, is that the last thing you need to do is take a step back. You need to press in. And even if she's, you know, physically or verbally saying, get away, the last thing you need to do is get away, right? Yes. You know, I remember, Sky, it's so funny you say that. I played the cello for many, many years from third grade until my college years. And I was the one that wanted to play the cello. I think during elementary, you had a choice to join either the band or orchestra. And I was like, I am not going to be marching out in the sun. No, thanks. So I'll choose the orchestra path. And so I ended up choosing the cello because you could sit down. It wasn't a thing that I knew anything about the cello. And so my dad supported that. And so, you know, just like any teenager, I'm like, cello's not cool anymore. You know, I got to carry a cello around and everyone else is like, I don't know, smoking in the bathroom or wearing makeup or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the cello geek. I'm the cello geek. And I'm like, no. You know, and my dad's like, you made a commitment. You're going to play this cello. And I remember being so angry with him. But it taught me later about commitment. You know, sometimes there's going to be times where you're just not going to like what you do, but you committed to it. You said you're going to do this. So the consistency was important. And then there was another time with my dad. I just, I wanted to, you know, if I'm for the listeners that don't see, I am an African-American woman. So I have natural, really coarse and curly hair. And, you know, based on a lot of systems here in the United States, the standard is to have straight hair. And so a lot of black women go through this process of call, they call perming your hair. So it's like putting these chemicals in your hair to get it really, really straight. And so, of course, I want to be the cool girl in high school. And I remember getting that perm at home because someone had come into the house and my dad was like, that is not beautiful. I don't that is not what you should be doing to your hair. You are a beautiful woman. You should have your natural hair. And I was just like, what do you know? You don't know anything. And I was so angry because every time I wore it, he was like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't think you should do it. And now looking back, that was beautiful. That was beautiful that he was empowering me to be my true self and show up how I am. And, and that's why I do that today. Right. So he definitely leaned in a lot of times when I was trying to push him away. I love it. You know, it shows that he was clued into what was going on at a deeper level you know, not just the surface level. And, and, you know, I think that what I, one of the things that I think our dads are really want to take away from this conversation is that we can't let our love, we can't let our care for our daughter, you know, stop in the moments when daughters are pushing back. Or I'll give you an example. My daughter last year, she's in middle school. She's in eighth grade now, 13 years old. And last year I went to have lunch with her at school and she asked me to go to, they have like this separate room where you can go have lunch with dad. She asked me to go to the room first. She wouldn't walk with me. And then she snuck into the room when her friends weren't around. And it was so funny, first of all, because I understood it. And second of all, I think a lot of dads would take those kind of things personally, you know, and well, and maybe, well, you know, you don't want to be seen with me or whatever. I actually just affirmed her and I said, hey, you know, I totally get it. I'm just glad I'm having lunch with you, right? We had a really good time. And I pushed through what could have felt like a moment of, you know, dad is, you know, I'm being relegated to the sideline or you're not, you're not proud of me. And I pressed through that. And one of the fruits of that, even I think about in this moment yesterday, I picked up she and a friend from cheer practice and I had to take them up to a tumbling class. And as my 13 year old eighth grade daughter is getting out of the truck to go into tumbling with her friend, right? She says, okay, love you, dad. I'll see you in an hour. Right. And I thought, I'm so glad my teenager will still say, I love you in front of other friends. And I think a lot of that's because 
I just push through and I don't let the negative moments or her pushback keep me from engaging. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. And, you know, I think about days where my I can remember these moments. That's what I'm trying to hone in on. Even at my age now, I can clearly see moments where my dad was involved in every part of my life. I can never say that he wasn't. So I hope that he feels empowered knowing that. And we try to talk about that all the time. Even now, he would come to my school, middle high, sit in a classroom, Scott. And I'm like, oh, my God. And just be involved because he wanted to know. I mean, he was in education, but wanted to know what the public school system was like, was very present. There were times when he would sit with me, or try to anyway, sit with me at lunch. But I am so thankful he did that because literally to this day, Scott, whenever I am having an issue or a concern or I'm at a crossroads, the first person I think about is calling my dad. That's the first thing I do. Despite what we went through in the teenage years, the middle school years where he had to lean in. And I'm sure he like to your point, just hearing this, I'm sure it hurt him. I wasn't thinking about it. But we, it came back around. It came back around double fold of all the work that he, you know, put in in my life, the early parts of my life. That's awesome. Well, not only have you shared a lot with your dad, but you're kind of rare as a daughter in that you and your dad actually wrote a book together, right? And I know you have a podcast. And so tell us about the book that you guys wrote. Why did you write it? What's it about? Yeah, well, I wrote it. Well, it was inspired, of course, by the podcast. As you mentioned before, I had donated a kidney to my cousin in 2021. And, you know, after the surgery, I was really just kind of still. And so I had a lot of time to reflect and think. But during that pandemic, as well as we all kind of walked through it for those that were here in the United States and really all over the world, I realized that time was very precious because I lost a lot of folks. And I realized that the relationship that my dad and I had was very unique because we talked so much during the course of my life. And I hadn't recorded a lot of the stories. I also found out a lot about my dad and his young life through other people. We talked a lot about me and I didn't spend a lot of time asking questions about him. And so I thought that to be selfish a little bit. And so selfishly, again, I said, you know, I want to record these stories. I want to make sure my father's getting older. I told you he was born in the 40s. So you do the math. And I know that time is getting close. And so I wanted to make sure I had something to hold tight to just because I love the moments so early in life. And so we started recording on Zoom. And over the course of a couple of sessions, a friend of mine said, you know, you should really write a book about your dad's story and about you all's relationship. And so that's how it started. And so now the book has kind of birthed out of our podcast that we do. And that's awesome. What's one or two, the name of the book is? It's called Dad Daughter Dialogues. So that's the name of our podcast as well. And it's really me asking questions about his life, us talking about things that are going on in the world. And I'll say this, it's always been that way. Ever since I was really young, my father was huge on, again, I think he I can attribute some of this to the civil rights movement, that every person is important. Every voice is important. Whether you're a young child, in high school or college, or an elder, everyone's voice should be heard in the room. And so many times discussions with my father and his friends and other civil rights advocates or educators or alike, I would be able to sit in that room with them, men, women, young and old, and give my opinion. Maybe sometimes when I'm young, it was more in a listening role, but I was always able to learn about what's going on and hear that. And so we continue that in the podcast. We talk about issues and we don't always agree. 
which I love. And I also love how we come back together through love. So that's what we do, you know, on that podcast. We just talk about everything, life, love, politics, you name it. I love it. Well, and you and I have talked about this before, but it's one of the things I want to keep hammering home here with our dads at Dads on Tap is that if we begin and end with the question, do I agree? And we're going to live a really frustrated life in all areas, right? So it's not about agreement. It's got to be about understanding, right? And that understanding brings a bond that's really important. I'm curious, what's one of the things that stands out to you that you learned about your dad or from your dad that you didn't know when you were writing this book? together or you were asking me questions? Sheesh, there's so much. The fact, like I, you know, I shared with you, of course, him going to high school at such a young age, you know, learning about girlfriends, which is just so funny to me because, you know, of course there's mom. I'm like, that's the only person you ever dated. So learning about his love life while he was in college and afterwards, that has always been cool to me. I don't know why. It just makes me giggle thinking about my dad who was, you know, a guy that dated other women. You were a real person. (laughs) You were a real person, you know. So that is a big one for me. And then honestly, just the bravery that he had of taking over a college in Boston, Massachusetts, like strategizing. I mean, when I talk about this guy, I met many of the leaders that were part of this. And they, I mean, Angela Davis was maybe two years before him. And so she had kind of set the stage at Brandeis. And then they have really congregated like, the Black Student Association, closing it down so much where the news channels and, you know, a lot of the media was there during this time. So he was so humble. I didn't know any of this, Scott. And I had to learn this through asking him questions, but also when he was acknowledged at Fort Hall at Brandeis years ago, I was blown away. I could not believe this person that's so humble that sits here and made sure that I, you know, had whatever I needed in high school or came to my recitals was the same person that took over this facility and now has a namesake there. It was just overwhelming, really overwhelming. I love it. You know, it strikes me when you say that, that I think about our generation, we're both Gen Xers and then generations that come after us. You know, you think about what your dad went through. We'd have been posting on social media, putting up the banner and consulting around, right? And he didn't even talk about it. (laughs) Right. I'm like, it was... You know, all the while I'm, I'm here becoming this diversity, equity and inclusion person, this attorney, and never did I know this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But the, the thing that has been important about that, too, is it makes me realize why I do now what I do. It helps kind of pull that together because I didn't fully understand why I was so passionate over the course of my life of helping people and caring for people. I didn't quite know that. And so now it's kind of solidifying This is why I'm doing what I'm doing because of the influence of my father over these years and watching things on the periphery and it's all being poured into me. And now, you know, it's a fruition of that, which is just so comforting for me and it validates why I'm doing what I do. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Yeah, that that line of influence, that line of thinking that has been passed on generation to generation, right? Even if we don't know it, right? Those things are there. And and so that discovery, what a cool thing. So you know, I love, as I've already said, I love being the dad to my daughter, Sadie. Years ago, Aisha, a good friend of mine who's a clinical psychologist, shared with me that there's been research that shows when a dad sees his daughter, literally just that sight cue invokes a chemical flow in our brain that softens us as a man. So physiologically, <laughs> we have been designed 
they have some connection with our daughter that we don't even know about, which is kind of a cool thought to me. It's awesome being a dad to a daughter, but we also know it comes with some challenges too, especially in the world that we're living in today. So I'd just like to ask you a quick general question before we dig into a couple more specific questions. What's one thing as you kind of think about dad-daughter relationships that concerns you for our dads today? You know, I think for our dads today, it's it's being distant. We've talked about this when you say leaning in, but I really mean more than ever today. Lean in all the way. Get past your feelings and lean in because there are so many young women that I have worked with over the course of my life that do not have fathers in their lives. And I have seen not always, but sometimes a clear correlation between their success. When I say success, I mean that academically, I mean that spiritually, I mean that personally, I mean that in relationships. You know, I worked in sexual assault for some time and there was a clear correlation between women who had been abused by their mate and the loss or the lack of a father in the home. And so it is so critical, despite how your daughter's feeling, despite the narrative, despite the dynamic of what it looks like, be it, you know, if you're with the mother or not, no matter what, lean in and be present, however you can. If you can't physically be present, send a text, call, post on social, like whatever their posts. I don't know. Just be creative. But in this moment, there's so much going on, Scott. There's so much crazy information out there. And that is molding us as not only children, young women and women alike. And so to know that you have a lifeline there that cares for you, that loves you, that speaks life into you is so critical for, I believe, daughters today. So critical. I still need it. I still need that reminder. And I just told you about all the wonderful things. And so I can't imagine what my life would be like if I had not had a father that leaned in. So my, my charge is to lean in even more, literally. Make it a habit. Make it a discipline. Write it down. Schedule it. I don't know. Whatever you need to do, it is critical that that happens. I love that. You know, just wherever you are, making sure that those consistent touches are there. We had in uh, episode, I remember what episode it was, maybe episode number three, I believe, we actually had a dad who went through not only a divorce, but it was just a crazy, his story ended up on oxygen. And, and I won't go into all the details, but one of the things I love about David is that through the midst of all of that, even living in another state in the mess, he did everything he could and sacrificed to be connected to his daughter's and now today has a fantastic relationship with all of his daughters only because he went above and beyond in a season where it would have been really easy to just kind of disconnect or be distant. So I think that's so important for dads. What's something that encourages you? So we talk about the concerns, right? But something about what's happening in our culture, you know, we only hear on the headlines or on social media, a lot of the negative things and the challenges What's something that encourages you about what's happening in our cultures that gives dads what you maybe you feel is a great opportunity to connect with their daughters? Yeah, you know, I'm seeing a lot of young dads and I love that. You know, I love to see now that younger folks are excited about becoming parents. I think it's just the coolest thing ever. I mean, I guess I was kind of of a 
of the generation of Gen Xers where dads were fairly young, but not, you know, really in their early 20s per se, unless, you know, something happened. But I love how there's this commitment to be a younger father. I love how fathers are now, you know, doing TikTok dances with their kids or out there on the streets when there's social justice issues and and really being kind of non-traditional in a way. I like dads, I'm, this is going to sound crazy, but I like dads who dress cool. Like, yes, dads, like making dad a cool thing. Being with your kids at the coffee shop, the local place having drinks, and I observe that now. That is just really a cool thing. And I celebrate men doing that. I want to say that to whoever is listening. I celebrate you if you do that, because that is so important. I think there's no right or wrong way to be a dad. I think it's just be who you are and just be present. And that's enough. That's really enough. I'm not a dad and I don't know what it's like, but I'm sure you're not going to get it right every day. But the presence is enough. You know, lean into the jokes, listen to the crazy stuff that you don't want to listen to. But I look on Instagram now and I just see so much of that. And that does bring me hope and it brings me joy that we are going to continue to have this unit of a family and also uplift these just wonderful dads all over the place. That part does make me happy. Yeah, it's awesome. There's so many avenues for us these days to relate to our kids. And to your point, I love that. And I want to, we could talk about so much more, but I know that our time is closing, but I want to get into a couple of thoughts. I know you think very broadly and very deeply. I love how you think about so many things happening in our culture today. I'd like to just ring off a couple bolded list of some of the issues we face as dads that we're wrestling with and how do we help our daughters and how do we deal with these things? So I'll just do what will be a really simple, easy answer for you. Social media. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will be a 30 second answer. No, no. But, you know, social media, there's so much study, Aisha, coming out about the effects of this specifically on our daughters and on girls in our culture. You know, Natalie and I have made a decision that our 13-year-old daughter still does not have an iPhone. She's not on social media. We're going to hold on to that as long as we can because we know the doors that opens up. But can you just for a, a couple minutes here, talk to us about social media and how do we as dads approach this issue of social media as we think about our daughters? What's some thoughts that you have for us that would just be helpful? You know, I love the idea of coming together as a unit and deciding when's the best time for your daughter or child to be accessed or have access, excuse me, to social media. So, and again, you know, going back to my cello example, be consistent with that. I know that's hard, but be consistent with it. If you have decided as a father to allow your daughter to have access to social media, monitor it. You're not going to be able to monitor everything. I have a great educator friend who's just talking about there's so many on the sidelines that we don't even know about outside of the kind of traditional five or six that we all know, lean into that as well. Begin to have conversations and spend time with your daughter offline. When we go to have coffee, phones down. We're here to have a conversation. When we're at the dinner table, phones, iPads down. You need time away from social media. And I think as a dad, that's a great thing to just practice with your daughter. She may hate it, but oh well, that is a process that she needs to have in her back pocket of how to put that thing away for a second because it's everywhere. It's all over us. And so it's good to 
them in the practice of what does that look like if you don't have a phone next to you? And believe it or not, there are some wonderful conversations, right, that come out of not having social media around, but also talking to specifically talking to your daughter about the ills of social media. There are a lot of predators out there. And this is not to scare anyone, but be real about that. Tell your daughter that. I mean, young folks are going to make decisions no matter what. They're going to trip and fall. But give them that information up front and tell them why. Don't just say, don't get on social media because there's predators. Why? Why should they not be able to do that? And be patient when your child asks, your daughter asks you those questions. Sit there and talk through that. So it makes sense. I think that is definitely critical as it comes to social media. Yeah, it's great. You know, I love your thought on conversations, but it requires us as dads to have to do a little bit of our own research and thinking as well to understand what's really going on out there, right? So I I think that learning curve is important. I also love the idea of monitoring. You know, there is this cool thing on our kids' phones called screen time. And my son, who has an iPhone, he has very limited screen time. And when he wants more, he has to request it, which means that I'm getting... Quite often, I'm getting little requests on this phone that I often just delete. I don't even, I don't do anything, right? But I I do think sometimes, Aisha, some of those simple tools, even if it frustrates our kids, putting them in place so it forces them to have to be accountable to us in some ways for what they're accessing and how often. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure it hurts to do that to your child, but it's so important. I mean, we all know, or you can research what it does, what the social media and screen time does to your brain over time. And then also you're lacking, you're not allowing your child to be able to know how to converse face-to-face with folks. I mean, we talk about the workplace now, or even relationships, there are children out here that do not know how to talk. They don't know how to hold a conversation. That is critical. And a lot of that starts from home. And a lot of that can start with a dad. And it's as simple as let's go out to coffee. Let's take a ride. Let's sit at home and just sit on the couch. Let's put the phone down for 30 minutes. Let's just talk it out. You tell me about your relationships, your girlfriends. Tell me. I want to hear it all. And just listen. You know, you may not understand anything they're talking about because half the time I don't. But just listen and engage, laugh. It makes the difference. It makes the difference. Yeah, I love it. Well, I got one more topic I want us to discuss. And I know something we can talk about for a long time. I've learned a lot from you. I know you live in this space, but it's racial equity, equality, and inclusion. And, you know, I have often said, I wrestle with this as a 50-year-old white man. I wrestle with what is my place in this conversation, especially during 2020, 2021. And I really came to a place where I, I really became settled that my place is to be a bridge for those who know more than me, for those who are thinking better than me, and to allow for more learning. And so the thing I'll say to you, and I've said this before in our podcast, is you know, I, I think what I want you to talk to for the next couple of minutes are white dads. And I want to give you permission. If you don't say something that pisses us off a little bit, then you haven't done your job because we don't grow through agreement. We grow through learning things or hearing things from a different perspective. And so I know there's a lot of things you could say to all dads, but as a white dad myself, and and I know we have a lot of white dads that are listening to this podcast or maybe watching in one of our breweries, what's something that you wish we would think about or that you wish we would talk about and maybe connect it even to a resource or two that can help us as we're helping specifically, certainly our sons, 
but our daughters, white daughters, think about this issue in our culture today? Yeah, you know, I generally start off with racism didn't start with black people, right? So it's not going to be resolved by black people. We have to have our white colleagues, allies, friends, maybe even enemies at the time that will later change, speak out and change the climate and be uncomfortable to talk about it in their family unit. Because the reality is we can go out in the cities and our workplaces and say that we're for Black lives or we support diversity or we support equity. But you know what? The truth of the matter is the truth is at the home. What we're really talking about at the dinner table, what we're really talking about at the baseball game with our colleagues, that is where the narrative has to change and awareness has to happen because whatever is said in the home impacts the children. Children aren't born racist. Children aren't born discriminating against each other. They learn that from most likely their parents or someone in their family structure. And so that's what's happening at the dinner table, using those explicit terms, degrading people of color or black folks, that stuff starts at home. And so I challenge white dads to educate themselves because you don't know what and who your daughter is going to marry. You don't know what's going to happen to your daughter. And, you know, over the course, what she's going to choose to do as a career. You don't know that. And so to be discriminatory and have racist tendencies could backfire on you. I've seen that happen many times where, you know, a white daughter decides to marry a black man. And you all the while as a white father have said all of these horrible things about black people. And what does that do for your relationship now? That doesn't mean that you have to understand everything. That doesn't mean because you've been taught something. You know, this idea of racism is systematic. It's not just, oh, I woke up one day and I'm a racist. No, it has happened historically through all things in our lives, from law to the justice system, to food, to housing, to water, to education, to health care. So this is not kind of a thing you can just solve overnight. It literally takes every individual to make it happen. So I challenge white dads to explore why they feel the way they feel. I challenge them to step out of the place of privilege. I challenge them to admit that you have privilege. That's what I challenge you to do. That's not saying, because whenever I say the word privilege, you know, some people are like, I grew up poor. I used to stop, you know, like the white dad, I, I grew up, you know, and Scott and I, we've talked about this, you know, so that's not to say I'm not taking away your experience that may have been oppressed. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is at face value, based on where we sit here in the United States, there are privileges that you have. And so there's nothing I can do about that. So if you know that, utilize your privilege for good, i.e. Scott, like what you're doing right now. This is an example for the listeners in case you don't know how to do this, is Scott being comfortable. And maybe there's some some discomfort there. I don't know. But Scott being comfortable to say, Aisha, talk about this. I want you to talk about this to my listeners. That's your privilege that you have used to open up the door for me to have this conversation and not feel like if I have this conversation, people are going to attack me. I'm going to lose friends, et cetera, et cetera. And so I say first, acknowledge your privilege. 
because if you don't, you don't check that at the door. I don't know what that's going to look like for your daughter later and how that can backfire. Make yourself aware and also be uncomfortable at times and be fine with that. There's a great book that I would challenge you all to read called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Again, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome by Joy DeGruy. It talks about why Black people show up the way that they do, why they may appear aggressive, why they may appear exclusive from you, why you're viewing them as less than. It's a great book. It challenges you. It gets a little dark, but it gets real. And the fact of the matter is we got to be real. You just have to be real. I think the United States, I think we do well with one thing amongst others is being in a state of denial. Like just not acknowledging the truth and really talking about those hard things. In order to get to the good, you have to acknowledge the bad. There's always seasons to this thing, right? There's a yin and a yang. You know, if you're saying you're a Christian person, you know the stories in the Bible, or if you believe in Allah, whatever the case may be, there's always a yin and a yang, a good and a bad. We can't get to the good if we don't talk about the bad. And so I think that's what frustrates Black people is that our white counterparts, colleagues, friends, family, loved ones, don't want to talk about it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This happened, guys. Like, we got to talk about it. Like, it's almost like you go through a divorce and dad's out the house. And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't know what happened to dad. You know, you tell the child that. Dad, what dad? What dad? You got a dad? Dads exist? It's ridiculous, right? It's ludicrous. So it's important to talk about, you know, to talk about the divorce. Of course, you know, that's hard, but it's real. And that's the saying with talking about racism, talking about slavery, talking about discrimination, talking about the importance of black dads, I mean, black lives, white dads can be a part of that conversation in particular with their children, in particular with their white daughters. Because now you're helping me build a relationship with my white colleagues because my white girlfriend came from a white family potentially. And so now we're able to have a better conversation and you plug and it keeps going on and on and on and on. Right. Yeah. I love it. Aisha. And it strikes me as you're saying that I think it all, in my opinion, begins with relationship. You know, when it's just an issue, it's easy to say what kind of what you want to say and to parrot whatever you've been taught or raised in. But when it becomes a friend like you, right. Or someone that you really do love, trust and respect you begin that journey together. You know, I've often said to dads and to white men in general, if you've never had a lunch or a coffee with a black person, or for me, if you've never sat down at dinner in your home with a black family, I don't know that you have a lot to say about the issue because it's not personal, right? It's just a set of beliefs that you were given or adopted somehow. And until it becomes that relationship I think having traveling companions that come from different places than you is so important. And I want to say this, as dads are listening right now, if Aisha just said something to you that you had like this response to, like this, either you put up a wall or a fence or you talked back to the podcast, right, or anything like that, I want to tell you, pay attention to that because anything that brings up emotion or brings up this big response in us is something we have to go explore because it means we have something to learn in regards to that area. So just a thought. Thank you for that, Scott. Thank you for that. We, you know, I don't want to dislike my white colleagues and friends. I don't want that. 
I'm not out here for that. I'm just out here to make sure that our Black folks have a voice. That's just a human right, right? That's just a human right to be able to feel comfortable and navigate in the place that you call home. And it's so true to your point about relationships, Scott. I'm so glad you brought up that point. There's a wonderful quote that talks about, it's hard for me to hate you the closer I get to you. But the further I get away from you, it's easier to do. And that's just the truth of the matter. The closer I get, the closer you, we keep, I use this word because I love it. The closer I lean in and you do, the more I learn, the more I grow. And that's what we have to do more of is have those conversations that kind of led us back to this whole dad daughter relationship thing. Right. Yep. I love it. So we're coming to the close here. We could talk for another hour, but so we've got dads that are listening to this podcast. We may have some dads that are sitting in one of our brewery chapters that are going to close this with a question or two. I know there's probably a lot that you could leave us, but is there one question that you would throw out there that might be good for us to wrestle with as an individual or maybe as a group of dads sitting around at a brewery that would just be good for some conversation as a next step? You know, I think a question I would love to know the answer to is, do you find it hard today to be a dad and why? I've never really ask that. And so I would love to just know why it has been, I guess, challenging is the word. Why is it challenging for you right now? Do you think it was easier for your father if your father was in your life? Or do you feel like there's tools that are missing for you? But what do you find challenging now being a dad? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You know, it's there's something in my faith tradition in the Hebrew scriptures that says there is a fellowship of suffering. There's something about sharing, right, our, our challenges and sharing what it is that we find so hard that in and of itself is healing and cathartic. Yes. Yes. Because you need that. You need. I don't. It's rare. It's very interesting. Maybe it's because I'm a woman and in a lot of women's spaces, I don't ever really hear men kind of at the table, which I love why you have this dance on tap, talking about not only their relationships with their daughters, but just their relationships in their family. I generally in passing sometimes because I kind of eardrop just to see what I hear. It's a lot of talking about sports or work or yard work or things around the house but not a lot about how they feel within the family structure. Don't know if that's something that dads just don't do, but I would love to hear that and just see that. Cause as you said, there's healing in that. Well, Aisha, I love that you kind of closed with that question, that thought, because honestly, it's one of the biggest reasons why I started dads on tap because being a dad and being a man in our culture can be really lonely. I heard recently a really sad statistic in the U S today. And this is, I think this is just a study done in the last couple of months In the U.S. today, of every four what they call deaths of despair, suicide, drug overdose, etc., three of those are men, and many of those are dads. And so it's not too strong to say we have a crisis of men that are just feeling alone and not sure where to find good connection and not sure how to have those honest conversations, right? And so you have provided a lot of thoughts for us today that can do that. And I'm really grateful for it. It's been fantastic. So real quick, how can our listeners connect to you online, share your website? Because I know there's access to the book and other things there. Would love for our dads to connect to you. 
Yes, please connect to me and shout out to dads. You know, just shout out to you all. Keep it up. Good work. I'm supporting you. I care for you. We love you. Dads are so critical to humankind, to the workplace, to life, to the spiritual place. I can go on and on. I love my dad, but I love, Scott, what you're doing with dads. I love this because it's so critical to your point. So I'll leave that there. But you can find me on LinkedIn at Aisha DeBerry JD. Or you can go to my website, which is AishaDeBerry.com. And there you can find our podcast, the book, other materials that I have around diversity, equity, and inclusion. I speak, I facilitate, and all things DEI. And so again, that's AishaDeBerry.com. That's awesome. Well, guys, make sure that you go blow up Aisha's website and Instagram, follow her, learn from her. And also be sure to follow us on social media. Instagram at the dads on tap is our primary place that we communicate place good content. You also check out our website. And I want to say to dads, as I always do in closing our podcast, I would love for you to email me at scott at dads on tap.com. If you heard something today that kind of struck a note in you, or you'd like to follow up on, or you're just in a place where you could use some encouragement. I'd love to be that encouragement to you. And most importantly, as we close our podcast today, I want to challenge you take what you've learned and go be a better dad.